and thank you for listening to Endo Unplugged. I'm Kendra, a fellow Endo Warrior. And I'm Heather, a fibroid and hysterectomy sister. This podcast is to bring awareness and to shine a light on what it's like to live with this chronic illness. We will share tips and tricks we've learned battling chronic pain. Everything mentioned is opinion-based as we are no professionals when it comes to medical or mental health, but just have firsthand experience. We will not be sugarcoating anything and we'll be keeping it real through the podcast. So please, if a title or description of the episode triggers you, please take care of yourself first. Okay, Endo Warriors, heat up those hot water bottles and pop in those earbuds and let's get started. The episode that you're about to listen to was recorded back on April 10th, 2020. Due to some health issues with Heather and myself, we were having to take a break from the podcast. We are very excited to be back with you guys, and we have some really exciting things coming up. So please enjoy this episode. Our next guest, Maggie, has been writing for over a decade in the health and wellness industry, being featured in various publications from Gem Magazine to a feature in Self Magazine. Maggie Boyer is a poet as well as a blogger and essayist with a focus on endometriosis and chronic pain. We are both giddy to have her with us today. Maggie is a beautiful person and such an inspiration with writing not one, but three poetry books. Thank you for joining us. If you could start by telling us how your endo journey started as you were very young, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, first I just want to say I'm honored um, to be here with both of you. You guys are both so sweet and compassionate and beautiful and doing so much for the community. Like I am so inspired by other people who tell their story and who share other people's stories. Um, It's really a lot emotionally and you guys put that work in and put that love in and it definitely is received so just want to say i'm equally honored <laughs> uh, and giddy um but yeah my journey did start really young um which is funny my mom also had endometriosis and i didn't know that for a really long time and uh, she didn't have any symptoms until high school and not even really many. Her main symptom was infertility. And um, so it was very interesting because her period didn't start she was 14 and mine started when I was 10. And my symptoms began before. I remember like, being in the car and having to ask my parents to stop so many times to go to the restroom um starting when I was like eight or nine my parents were so confused I was wetting the bed again and they were like you know you're in older elementary school you should not be having these like bladder problems and GI problems but it was just kind of like not really taken seriously or care of because it wasn't a big deal necessarily yet But when I started my period, it was a month after my 10th birthday and I was in so much pain. It was awful. And it lasted, That it was always painful. That has been one of my main symptoms is uh, very intense pain. And I would, I missed, I looked back at my middle school transcripts and I missed 39 to 44 days every year of middle school, Um, which is just 
baffling to me. Um, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember going to the ER in seventh grade. Um, I don't know if I went before that much, but I started going then. I remember and like I had teachers that didn't understand and were like, you should have done your homework in the ER or this, that, or the other if I came in without my assignments. But you guys probably get it. It's so hard to do homework when you're in intense pain. Um, it's hard to think of anything. It's hard to do anything in that kind of pain. And so for years, it was at the ER, they didn't find anything, ultrasounds, they never found anything, MRIs, I got a lot of appendix checks. Oh my gosh, can't tell you how many times my appendix has been looked at. You're, you're nodding, Kendra, you get it. <laughs> the, the appendix yeah. check is real. Yeah, it's almost every single time I've gone in when I was like in my adolescence, it was your appendix is going to burst. It's you have appendicitis. It's so it's like the CTs and the, and just all the tests. And then it comes back. Oh, everything's normal. We're just going to send you home, even though you're still in pain. In, in appendicitis you. type pain. Like they didn't think right. you were lying then. <laughs> right. It's a, it was a small town hospital. So like they try to be compassionate as much as they can, but it's, it's hard because they don't have the resources but they had a CT scan and they did the CT scan and they did lab work and they did all that kind of stuff. And that was the only time I thought I remember being taken seriously at the ER for, and then it took many, many years until I was again. Yeah. So. It takes having a diagnosis for you to be taken seriously. And even then it's hard. Um, so yeah. And small towns, like you have in rural areas, you don't really have access. Like I still feel really grateful to be, yeah, Heather is also raising her hand. Uh, it's, it's hard. I live in a bigger town and it's still, we don't have um, really any endometriosis specialists in our state. And so, but I live in like the third or fourth biggest city in the state. Um, and we don't have like anyone here that does. I drove two hours for my last laparoscopy and I, consulted with somebody another two hours away, but neither one of them really had the skills that I needed. So there's in the Carolinas, there's only one doctor who is really on any, I don't, I don't like to talk about lists because I think they're all biased. Um, whether whatever website or group you're in there, they all have good and bad things. So it's really, I think just like a doctor you're comfortable with, but like we only have one doctor in either state in the Carolinas that's on any list. Uh, so like out of all of the lists, synthesizing them. So that was really hard. And I remember going to her six months ago with my partner and she immediately started talking like retrograde menstruation and marinas. And I was like, Ooh, nope, I'm going to go. My, my partner looked at me like, what? So, yeah. you know, we're going out of state, but oh, I'm, I'm talking way ahead now. So going backwards, backwards in time, just talking about how like hard care is even in like bigger areas, like 10 years ago, doctors didn't know like anything about endo really, like the ER doctors. Now there seems to be a little bit more awareness in some ERs when you go. I've talked to a lot of people that are having better experiences now, but a decade, two decades ago, when my mom had surgery 20, 30 years ago, stuff was not at all known. And so I remember going and them doing all of those checks and nothing. And so they sent me to the GI. 
And the GI took it really seriously too. He was like, oh my gosh, like I think you have cancer, like all of these things. Do a colonoscopy, nothing. There's some polyps, we removed them, but they were benign, like you're good, nothing serious. But I still had so many symptoms. But at that point they were like, it's all psychiatric. I had a lot of trauma. I did get diagnosed with PTSD when I was 14 or 15. Um, and so they were like, you know, it's just psychosomatic. You really do have a lot of trauma. Like we're not brushing it off as psychosomatic. You just have a lot of stuff, which is fair. I think that therapy, I love therapy. I love DVT. I love brain spotting. I love, I, I'm a huge advocate for mindfulness, DVT, all of that stuff, but it doesn't fix the pain or the endo. <laughs> And it wasn't what was wrong. And so going to therapy and my therapist now, and I talk about it, it's hard to do healing work on yourself when you're in a lot of pain, when you're in survival mode. And so even going to a therapist back then, having no answers, I wasn't really gaining anything from it. Um, but like I said, I got diagnosed with PTSD and I did dis disassociate a lot. So I started in high school disassociating like from my body completely. So I don't really remember much of my symptoms in high school. I remember them still being there. Um, the first time I fainted was my senior year of high school. I uh, was a TA and I remember they were watching a movie and I was like, I've got to get out of here. I don't know what's happening to me, but I've got to go. And my, my professor, he liked me and he didn't care if I just like slipped out to the bathroom or something. So I was a TA. So I remember I went out to the hall and I was sweating so bad and I was so faint feeling. And so I leaned against those like cool brick white walls that they have. And I don't remember fainting, but I remember some kid like waking me up and being like, Maggie, are you okay? Uh, from my grade. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. The bathroom was like 20 feet away. So I like bolted to the bathroom and I was so sweaty. I had to take off all of my clothes in the stall and like wipe my entire body down and all of those things. And I was just like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone. And so I didn't tell anyone then. I started throwing up that year too. Um, I remember like driving my friend to school and I threw up out the car window while driving. I just like pulled over on the side and like was barely stopped when I started getting sick. And so, you know, my symptoms were definitely ramping up again and getting like fully through my disassociation. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't even at that point disassociate through the pain. Um, but it still took me several years to go back to the doctor. There was a lot of medical trauma because I remember going to the ER like four or five times in middle school and just like never getting anywhere. And all those doctors being like, oh, it's psychosomatic. So I didn't want to go back and I didn't want to deal with it. So I didn't. And my sophomore year, I had fainted a lot. I was missing a lot of uh, work, a lot of school. I had gotten fired, I think twice at that point uh, for absenteeism at jobs that like I was getting awards at and stuff like customer service mm -hmm. awards, mm -hmm. customer of the, or like person of the quarter, like it's not like it was like, oh, you're a bad employee and we're going to let you go. It's just you miss a week every month. We can't do that. So I was getting fired a lot and I wasn't able to hold down food. That was my biggest symptom that prompted me to get help. I couldn't hold down food anymore. I had already had those GI issues. Like I said, I'd gone to the GI, i would had colonoscopies and I was like 12 all of those things. And so I was afraid to go back to the GI, but my best friend was like, Maggie, like 
you take a bite of chicken and you can't hold it down like a plain piece of chicken a piece of bread like anything you can't hold anything down it's like 80 pounds so it was like really bad and so I finally went to the doctor I did get misdiagnosed of course um I got diagnosed with cyclic vomiting syndrome which I mean I'm not completely against like that idea of like having abdominal migraines with everything that goes on in my abdomen. I have headache migraines, so it would make sense. So the doctor wasn't like too far off. It was cyclic. So um, he wasn't super far off, but I got put on some meds, some antidepressants for migraines (laughs) and my vomiting did get a little better with a lot of Zofran huge tip. I also love ginger mints, ginger tea, ginger everything. Um, That's a huge one for me that gets me to hold stuff down. Don't worry. I think like, I think a lot of us worry about like what we eat and it not being like super inflammatory or this, that, and the other. And I used to really worry about that, but it didn't help me enough to make it worth not eating at all because I can't prepare a really fancy meal or I can't hold down a whole serving of vegetables. If I can only hold down a protein bar, I should eat the protein bar. So Mm. if that's where you're at and you are feeling guilty because you can't hold down the foods you're supposed to be eating, quote unquote, I'm doing quote marks because that's some not okay stuff to be saying, guys, come on. (laughs) Um, And so like, eat whatever you can get down is basically what I'm saying. And like, be it's okay. Except that that's where you're at right then. It's, it's okay. As somebody who's been there. Um, so yeah, I finally went to the doctor, got all that, had an endoscopy, a colonoscopy, nothing. And they kind of said the same thing, just like, keep going to therapy, do what you're doing. And I, I wasn't going to stand for it anymore. So I started like thinking about it and I am so lucky. This is why I speak out. I was scrolling through Instagram and someone who I followed for like baking and other things started talking about their endo. And it was March of 2019. And I burst into tears when I read her caption. I was like, this is me through and through. And I messaged her and she told me a lot more, a lot about like the leg pain, the inner thigh pain, that you shouldn't have any period pain the hot knives and stabbing, the GI issues, like all of that could be endo, she told me. She was like, all of that are endo symptoms. So everything I was going through met the criteria. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I go to my dad. My mom did pass away when I was 16. So I'm 21 at this point in the story. So I couldn't talk to my mom about it. I still didn't know she ever had endo. So I went to my dad and I was like, hey, I think I might have endometriosis. Like, do you know if mom had it? Because I saw it runs in families, this, that, and the other. And he was like, oh yeah, your mom was had trouble conceiving your brother and had to have laparoscopy to be able to conceive and had endo. My stepmom also had endo and um, I've lost several siblings to endo. Um, so actually my mom and my stepmom had endo and nobody connected the dots. I'm not like blaming them at all because again, Mm -hmm. not enough was known back then. There was not enough awareness. There was, it was way too taboo. So like, I'm not judging them at all. It was just so shocking to me that I could be surrounded by people with endo and no one put together the pieces. Um, which is why I speak out now. I'm like, I can't let other people just not know that this even exists. So I went to my stepmom's doctor who had uh, done her ablation and gotten her 
her rainbow babies. I have two six and four-year-old brothers. Um, we talked about having a lot of time, Kendra, in between your kids. And um, yeah, I have a lot of time in between me and my siblings. And they're my half-siblings, but they are my rainbow brothers. So I love them very dearly. And uh, so I went to her doctor and he told me it was a lot of central sensitization. And he said he'd do a pelvic exam and he did. And I sobbed, it hurt so bad. And I sobbed and he was done. He's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong. There's no endo. <laughs> they gave me some tissues to stop crying. And we're like, yeah, I think you just need birth control. Um, so even telling people my family history of endo, I was too young was the theory. So I was 21 I, and you know, fetuses have endo. So, you know, yeah. I don't think that's too yeah. young. <laughs> I think that's plenty of time. But um, yeah, so I, I was really disappointed and I started looking more and more into it. And I was like, oh my gosh, he wasn't even an excision surgeon and like no shame on people who don't have access. Cause I talked about, there's not really one in my state really. So if you only have access to ablation, I totally get it. Um, but after finding that out and being like, okay, so like he doesn't really only treat endo. He is an OBGYN. He focuses on other things. I need somebody who only focuses on endo. So I went to a big center in my state that claims endometriosis care, and I did get a laparoscopy. She immediately, my first appointment said, I think you have endo, you're missing eight days of work a month, you need a laparoscopy, like normally we do birth control first, but you're at the point where we're just going to go ahead. And that could have been a red flag in theory, but again, there's not much access in my state, so you go with what you have access to. Um, I did have a laparoscopy and I was found to have three lesions. One was just a bunch of fibrosis and two were deeply infiltrating lesions. So uh, she did find those and I woke up from surgery and I just cried. I remember like being like, was it there? And they said, yes. And I just started sobbing and it was happy tears. Like it was relief that I, I, something was wrong. And the woman next door in like behind the curtain, she was like, oh, sweetie, don't cry. It's okay. Like, you know, you're going to get through this and we're, we're all here for you. She was another Indo warrior. And like, that was just so moving to um, mm -hmm. the support that I, I've gotten since to um, before my diagnosis. And since, like I said, my friend on Instagram is the one that told me about it. And we weren't friends at the time, but now we're really close friends um, <clears throat> because this community is just so supportive and she really was instrumental in me getting my diagnosis. So that was that, it's finally diagnosed, but unfortunately my pain just got worse. So uh, my symptoms just got worse. Uh, my eating got better, so that was really good for a while. Um, I'm back at the point where unfortunately I'm only eating like one full meal a week or something, and then just getting like what I can in between, um, which is hard. It's not easy and you get very foggy with that. So anybody else going through that, like be gentle with yourself. If you're really confused, if you're missing what people are saying to you or this, that, and the other, just be really gentle because it is hard. Um, but yeah, so I now, after consulting with a bunch of surgeons in my state, um, I've decided to go to Atlanta to the Center for Endometriosis Care. 
Um, I am waiting on my official surgery date. I have two potential dates that are only a month away from right now. So, but there's still, everything's kind of up in the air with everything that's going on with our healthcare system right now. So fingers crossed that that happens soon. They're going to check my entire bowels because they do think I have bowel endo. And I'm also going to get bats to check my chest because at ovulation, I deal with a lot of racing heartbeat up to like 150 for no reason and a lot of pain in my chest at ovulation and a lot of shortness of breath between ovulation and my period. So they are gonna check my chest cavity for any endo and get any out of my pelvis. He's already found in the pictures a couple places that are probable endo. So hopefully with a lot better visibility, he will find everything that is there. Mm -hmm. um, but as we know, endo unfortunately doesn't have a cure. So uh, even the best excision surgeons can't cure you. Um, so no matter who you go to or what you decide, whatever path, symptom management, ablation, excision, expert care, whatever you have access to and decide, like seriously, I just want everybody to know what is out there. That is my main thing is I'm like, I don't want these doctors to be telling people that birth control treats endo anymore. I don't want them to be, those kind of cycles are what's keeping excision from being accessible to everyone. And that's why I'm not gonna let somebody just do it without the info. I'll be like, hey, if this is working for you and this is all you can do, awesome. I want you to feel relief, but you need to know the actual, like everything. You need to know everything. Mm -hmm. And even with excision, I think that a lot of, doctors will even tout it as a lot better than it is. And like expert care is about 10% recurrence rate. But if you live in a state like North Carolina where I live and you don't really have access to an expert, which is why I'm going out of state, our excision surgeons have a recurrence rate of 40 to 60%. It's still better than ablation, uh, which has a 60 to 80% recurrence rate, but it's not it's not a cure. And I think a lot of doctors, like my doctor got very frustrated, my North Carolina one, and was like, no, like it's all pelvic floor pain. Like I, she said to me, my partner laughed at this. She said, I did a perfect excision. <laughs> and it's like, even with perfect excision, you can have recurrence. So for a doctor to tout that as like, no way, I'm not going to give you another laparoscopy, like that's not appropriate. So even with excision, you should know that your pain is valid even post-surgery. So I just wanted to, sorry, I spieled about nope. like all of my soapbox stuff. But <laughs> I get really annoyed with like both sides of the community, if that makes sense. No, I totally, I understand. I, um, I've had excision and that's how I was able to conceive my son. Yeah. Um, actually at my six, uh, six week post-op, I was pregnant, but we didn't know. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> and it was like, funny. It did something I, like, major for you, but it didn't fix everything. It, um, I'm back to, so my pregnancy was hell. Um, I was in pain every single day. I was throwing up for months. I H like my end type. Is, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Just everything. So um, couldn't have any protein, um, had to find protein in vegetables and, and like nuts and stuff like that, stuff that people don't think of when they think of protein. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, since then, it's just kind of like my pain and my GI symptoms and all that kind of stuff just seem to be like getting worse. So I'm in the limbo kind of as everybody kind of is in this community at a time where um, I literally have referrals out to all these different places and still not getting any callbacks and <laughs> getting really frustrated because literally sent out my first referral for an ultrasound like four weeks ago. So it was like, um, I, I really, I, I wish that doctors would think of us as patients and not as numbers on the screen. Um, I have two kids. I have a partner. I have myself to take care of. Um, and then like, I haven't been able to work for three years. Like that, that changes somebody. That it's horrible. It really does. I have like, you're making me think of multiple poems I've written right now because like it hurts, it does mm. to like have that take it away from you. I've also been out of work since 2020 and I'm applying for disability and it it really changes you. I, Claudia on Instagram, I said, mm. I love her caption. She said, um, I always, I, I imagined one day maybe being a housewife, but never a housebound wife. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's. Yeah. It's really hard because like, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody in our lives. And like, it's a constant battle. Like my house is so tiny and it takes no time to clean, but I can't do it. And I lay on the couch and I look around and I go, if only I could get up and like pick up the toys. If only I could get up and do something to progress my day and not have to regret it later. Like it's, I it's hate being fight. so negative Nancy about it, but it is, it's hard. Um, Even just it, before we came on and we said that you, neither of us had eaten anything today. I haven't and, either. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I have a smoothie beside me that I'm going to milk for the next two hours. But that's part of it is that uh, we haven't eaten anything or drank anything lots today because that will cause all of the pain to come back. So that will cause me like, to get sick again. Yeah. Like I was throwing up this morning. So I'm like very careful about putting more food in my body today. Like, yeah. Right. It's and, I feel like it's personally, it's better to eat nothing than to lose food and water. <laughs> so like, I don't know if you guys uh, struggle with this, uh, but like my partner always is like, you don't eat enough and you have to eat more. And like, I, I probably get down a good meal once a day. And that's like, that's, that's a good day. That's a good day. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, it's saltine crackers. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And people don't get, like you said, it takes toll on everyone. Like my partner is like, I don't know what to do for you when you're in pain. Like, and he's great. He brings me my heating pad. He gets me my tens, you know, like he'll do what, what he can, but he's like, by the end of it, he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't do anything. And I'm sure that that's frustrating and hard. It's mm -hmm. not as hard as dealing with the actual symptoms, of course, but that is hard. Yeah, that is we, just, we definitely need to have compassion for the people around us because it's hard to become involved in our lives and become our caregivers as well as other people with different labels. So yeah. like my, my partner doesn't want to be my caregiver. And I get that. Mm -hmm. That's a really, it's a very gray line is uh, to, to put somebody who you love into that place. It's really hard on them because yeah. 
that's where that's why there's people out there that have a job to be a caregiver because why we need access to those four people with endo like people don't think that this is debilitating and they don't think pelvic pain is debilitating and they don't think that it has a serious impact on your physical and mental health but it does and like I mean the stats are horrifying we all know the stats um you know the stats are horrible and they hit me very close to home with my losses um in my life uh my mom unfortunately did attempt suicide and she passed away under gray circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very sad because I don't blame her for wanting to get rid of the pain, you know, like it, and it's very prominent in our community and it just breaks my heart um, because doctors, like you said, they look at us as a number and it's not taken as seriously as some other things um, when it's really something very serious um, because it really does impact so much of your life, um, impacts your relationship, your intimacy, your work, uh, your home, your friendships, like it really can take over um, and not in a, I'm letting it take over my life way, but like in a, I literally can't stand or walk without my pelvis, like jolting and aching and me falling. So like, I can't go do something. Like I remember I've fainted at work four times, which is part of the reason I stopped working at some jobs. And the reason I now can't work, you know, is that you can't constantly be fainting on the job and on a ladder. You can't constantly be like, it it was just way too much um, to be able to balance and it's even hard to balance like you said like housework like putting away things and doing dishes um I have a stool in my kitchen which I recommend for everyone um it was a game changer guys seriously um so yeah people just doctors and people in our lives like unless they're the closest to you they don't get how much it impacts yeah like even like my mom even she's like she's so sweet I get it but she's like oh you need to look into hysterectomies and all this kind of stuff and I'm like I'm trying to explain to her that hysterectomy is not a cure it's not it could help me if my endo was in places that that would help my yeah like I had some on my uterine sarasoa and so like it was excised from there, but a hysterectomy would have also excised the endo in that spot. Right. Like I had it on the pelvic, I have it on the pelvic wall and like yeah, all around inside. No, that yeah, doesn't it touch that. There's no reproductive organs in my system that are affected by the endo besides what endo does for yeah you know like that was confusing but um it's it's not attached to my reproductive organs so for me a hysterectomy would literally do nothing it would make it so I don't have to be on birth control and it would make it so I don't have to worry about having another kid which is what I a place where I'm at in my life um but as we know it all it also comes with a list of problems to have yeah yeah to have that so young are high you don't want the hysterectomy part and like even right now I'm dealing with the hormones and trying to balance those out yeah and because I just had surgery the beginning of March 
And the remnants that I had was giving us estrogen. So I am now back into menopause fully again. So my body has been going up and down into menopause the last four years. And that's crazy. And that's so hard on me. So Mm -hmm. it's not an answer or cure all to have a hysterectomy. It does help, but like it will help. It helped me, but it doesn't mean it helps everyone. No. Endo is very individualized. And I want our listeners to understand that it is what helps us. If it doesn't help you, don't think, don't do it. Yet. Oh, this, yeah, just don't do it. Just like who, who cares? Like if something or doesn't try work, it and then it. kick it to the curb, that's fine. Yeah. No one is, I'm not, a, I just want you guys to have all the tools that have helped me so that you can parse through what you, what will benefit you. Exactly. I was on Facebook and someone was saying like, their surgeon put them on progesterone um, so that their endo would stop growing. And, and I, I gave them some sources, but I was basically like, you know, every lesion is individual. Um, and so some react more to progesterone and some react more to estrogen and some react to neither. Like they are all, every single lesion and every single patient is different. And so like, if progesterone is working for you, heck yeah, take it. Awesome. But if your lesions are being increase by like if you're feeling more pain on that pill feel like you can go to your doctor and say no like progesterone is making me worse I need a different hormone if we're going to keep doing that route like you have the power and if something isn't working for you like know that you know your body like I think one of the biggest things one of the best statements I've ever heard is sorry I got something in my eye um is uh you know your body better than anyone else, better than a doctor who sees you for 15 minutes every six months. Like Mm -hmm. they don't know. And so if you know that you're being made worse by the hormones, go off them. If you know that it's keeping you stable and you don't want a hysterectomy, awesome. If, and yeah, it's just really hard when people in our lives just like don't understand. And it's not fully their fault because like Google, promotes the oh. wrong stuff half the time. Um, it made me cry. My mom's parents um, sent me an article and they had been like, at first they were like, why are you, you can't go out of network for care. Like just choose whoever's in network, this, that, and the other. And I was like, I already did that. And it made me worse. Like I'm not, I can't do that again. Personally, I have to do this. Um, like I said, everybody's journey is different. This is just for me. Um, so I had to go for out of network care. And at first she was really judgmental about that. And was like, you know, your surgery is going to be more expensive than it needs to be this, that, and the other. And that's true. It's more expensive than it should be. Insurance should cover it, um, wholly, but it doesn't mean that it's the wrong move. And she mailed me an article that was fantastic and talked about like how few excision surgeons there are and why there's pay differences between the types of surgeries and all those things. And she was like, me and your grandpa read this and we learned so much. And like, we really hope you get answers from this. And like, that just changed it. And that's why one of the, we were talking about like why I became a health and wellness writer as well as a poet is like health and wellness. People need to hear that. They need to hear how hard it is for 200 million people to get care um, because once everybody starts recognizing how widespread it is, maybe we'll get better care. That's like the only way. And like, it's also the only way we'll get support. Even if we don't get better care, the awareness will help those in our lives support us more. Yeah. It's, it's just hard because there's so many people who 
if a hysterectomy, a hysterectomy works for them, they go out and they tell about it, right? So they're like, oh, it worked for me. It worked really well. Um, I got my life back. And that's all these people who are trying to support us through this here is that they got their life back. Hey, you could yeah, do it too. They want you us could to get have your life that. back. Yeah. And, and that's so sweet. And I really appreciate support and everybody should appreciate that and have compassion for that. But it's really hard because- time you need to have the right information and you need and the right kind of support. Yeah. The support Um, that's not telling someone what to do. It's giving them facts and then saying, and I support where you go from here. Right. I really like that, that your grandparents uh, gave you that article and that you were able to really feel heard by them. And um, that's what we really need is the support that our support hears us and listens to us. And, and they then, hear that it's hard to treat yeah. that, like that there aren't, and, and so many people say, oh, get a hysterectomy or go on birth control. But it's like the 15 year old who's having symptoms, which the hysterectomy might not even help, can't probably get a hysterectomy. A person who wants to have more kids can't necessarily just, it's not an easy choice to just go get a hysterectomy. Like there are a lot of barriers put in place insurance and doctors not wanting to do it for young patients like there are so many obstacles so that for someone to say something that's not even really factual and make it seem like an easy solution like that it's really not and I honestly think like anyone selling you an easy solution to endo doesn't understand endo or is taking advantage of you I'm not saying all is malicious but like they might just not understand um but like even a surgeon who is like, oh, I can cure you, like take it yeah. all with a grain of salt. None of this is going to fit, like fix everything. And I really wish it would. I wish I could tell somebody on this podcast, like, oh my gosh, you can have excision and a hundred percent, you will be fine. Amazing. You won't have any endo forever. I can't tell anybody that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the best treatment right now. It's the gold standard, but until we're all getting that standard, we're not going to make any advancements. Like I saw they got a grant for some research on endo and autoimmune, um, and like fighting it with autoimmune drugs. So that's really cool because I want us to be looking at other ways to tackle this other than hormones. That's not to say, I think that that's going to be the one that sticks, that that study is going to change everything. But we need everyone to be doing excision and we need to be studying other ways of managing and treating this disease. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I totally no, agree with that. I, that was me. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Wow, we really got on a tangent about tangent. I'm sorry I got on my soapbox, guys. No, I just that, want you no. all to feel supported. Like I I would hate for somebody to be listening to this and be like, oh my gosh, since I live in southern Alabama in the sticks, I can't have access. Like I'm a failure. You're not a failure. You know, no. you didn't do anything wrong. You did nothing wrong by living where you live, having the insurance you have, and having endo. None of those it's- things are your fault. It's very sad that it's not accessible to everybody. And I was, I was in a really bad place when I lived in Vancouver. And when you're talking about body, um, alienating yourself from your body or uh, disassociating, mm-hmm. um, I totally um, related to that because I have, I've been abused quite a bit throughout my life mm-hmm. in different ways. 
And so that was kind of like a healing way for me is that I just kind of like out of body experiences. And so when I first started being in pain, that's how I dealt with it. And that made so much sense when you were telling that story, your story, because I don't remember a lot of my adolescence. And when I was in pain, like people are like, well, when did this start? Like how much pain were you in? Like, what were the first couple years? Like, and you're like, I Oh, foggy mess. <laughs> that's what it is. I blink and the day's gone. Like that's like right now I'm dealing with brain fog so bad that it's I have to really attentively use active listening because I can't my train of thought keeps stopping and stalling and it's it's very hard to deal with even that. But don't feel like I, I love that you're going off on your little soapbox because um people need to hear this and yeah, I just feel like too many people are really judgmental in the Indo community on all sides do what works for you and who cares what other people think yeah um I go to the grocery store in like pajama pants with a hot water bottle down my pants and I don't give a frick like say what you want about what I look like, I probably look like a you made it to the grocery store, bum, but I made it to the grocery store and this is what I have to do. And like the other day I put a mask on because I literally thought I was going to like get sick in the grocery store. And I was like, the only thing that I can like stop all of these like different smells or different things like coming to me is like, if I just put a mask on and people are like, yeah, okay, you can wear a mask nowadays. It's fine. Right. So I just stuck a mask on, but I was like, I can't be here. I told my mom I had to go home. I couldn't. I couldn't even stay at the grocery store. Like I had to go home and I haven't grocery shopped in like two years. Cause it's so hard. I now, when I do shop, it's like, we go, me and my partner go together to target and I sit in the wheelchair. Like that's what shopping is for me now. Cause I, I also have fibromyalgia. Um, and I have a lot of pain in my feet and I don't know yet if it's from fibromyalgia or from endometriosis. Cause I had stuff, I had large, deeply infiltrating endo near some stuff that would cause that, but my surgeon didn't find that necessarily. So I'm still, that's the, that's the other problem. I think that a lot of us run into is we're trying to figure out what our symptoms are. And it's like, I can't really decipher what this like what certain symptoms are from until I have surgery and then it'll tell me oh is this endo pain or is this fibro pain and how how do I treat it because the treatments for those two types of pain are different so right now I just have to manage it by using crutches and using a wheelchair and like if you're questioning if you deserve or need a mobility aid and you've been thinking that like once or twice or a few times go ahead and get one and try it. You probably deserve it. You probably need it. Um, Most people don't start thinking about mobility aids until they need one. So that's always my advice to people. It's like. Due to running time, we have broken this episode up in two parts. Part two will be released next week. So stay tuned for that. And I hope everyone is having a high energy, low symptom day.